Welcome to Darker Days Radio, episode number 73. That's right, we are back, and we are bad. Isn't that right, Chig? We are both bad and also back. That is correct. Yep. So, I'm, of course, one of your hosts, Mike, and uh, as you just heard, Chig is here with me. How's it going, Chig? It's going great, Mike. How about you? You know, a lot of things have happened since I've last been here on the show. You know, moved to a new apartment, went across the city. My Shadowrun game is, is it's gone and done, but... D&D 5th edition still going on. Yeah, I haven't played um, any 5th edition outside of uh, a Gen Con setting, but just not what my group is into. Understood. But I hear good things. Yeah, it's great. And uh, Chig, what is your group into these days? Um, We have recently started another Torg campaign since they are going to be uh, kickstarting the version of that sometime in the next couple of months. So you're, you're playing it before it gets kickstarted? You know, just We're trying to remember the original, yep. the original from West End Games. That's right. Torg. Yes, it's a legendary game system. It's really good, actually. Uh, Mark, executive producer of this show, Mark Hope, uh, huge fan of Torg. Hi, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> wherever he is out there. Anyway, so yeah, we're uh, we're Darker Days Radio, and today we're going to be talking about the classic One World of Darkness source book. Charnel Houses of Europe, the Showa. It's going to be quite a ride. Going to be talking about some, you know, pretty deep, dark things. But we're going to do it. We're going to do it, Chig. And we were asked, and uh, we will come through on that. Indeed. Indeed. But enough with introductions. Let's talk about White Wolf News just a little bit. Okay, so it's been a while since uh, we've last been here talking about uh, some of the newest World of Darkness uh, stuff going on. Uh, So, of course, the Grand Masquerade happened, and uh, we're going to put a link in the show notes to the keynote speech and also the Q&A. A lot of stuff was like uh, discussed in those. I don't really want to, you know, go through it too much and uh, detract from our, our main topic here on this episode. But uh, the big announcements are, of course, that we're going to get Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition, which is going to be internally developed by uh, the new White Wolf in Sweden. And uh, they're also brainstorming a new edition of Werewolf. So that's the uh, the big stuff going on. Yeah, I'm not, not sure I care for the 5th the Edition branding because there was 1st, there was 2nd, there was Revised, which would make it 3, and then 5th Edition. Well, you got the 20th anniversary. I think they did it because Eddie Webb kept talking about how, well, he was he was with CCP and Onyx Path going to do Vampire 4th Edition. And, of course, with the mm-hmm. uh, you know changeover, um, that got axed. So I think just to avoid confusion, they wanted to go with Vampire 5th Edition. So the 4th Edition never came out, and don't look for it. Uh, and also, they seem really psyched about having the whole VV logo, which looks like, you know, two they things. They are super, super excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but 
Anyway, of course, our friends over at Onyx Path are doing some great stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we uh, haven't been on for a little while, and a lot of things have come out. You know, we got some new Dark Ages material, which is incoming. You know, it's uh, finishing up development right now, getting some great art direction. Uh, for Chronicles of Darkness, we have Promethean 2nd Edition, which is off the hook. Like, it, it just makes the game so much more playable. And in addition to that, uh, just kind of expands the role of the Prometheans uh, and the different story possibilities while still retaining that sort of uh, isolation that made the original uh, version of it so interesting. So definitely good stuff. And of course, Mage the Awakening 2nd Edition has dropped since uh, we last talked. So that's really cool. And Chig, I know that you are tenuously excited about the Scion 2nd Edition Kickstarter. It looks really good. I, I know Matt, Matt, friend of the show and uh, werewolf correspondent, is really excited about it. He's, he's gone in full hog on the Kickstarter. And Chig, you've got your own opinions. I'm kind of teetering on the edge there. It looks like it could be so good but it still uses the same, well, not the same, but close enough for government work system that makes, you know, your uh, your dexterity the only stat that you need. Yeah, dexterity is still the god stat of so pretty much like I any just... RPG ever. Um, yeah, but the interesting thing about uh, the new um, story path system, I think is the name of it. Correct me if I'm wrong, I Chig. So. Uh, that is that, correct. yeah, so the the way that it's kind of, um, gone beyond the original storyteller system is that now you have uh, particular thresholds you need to meet. Specifically, um, so like in in older Scion and Aberrant and also Exalted, uh, there were a lot of like auto successes. You when you rolled your dice, you just added in like a straight um, you know, like plus three number of successes based on some power you had, and that mm-hmm. made things a little silly, especially with Exalted's perfect defense where. If you got equal successes for offense and equal for defense, defense always won. Uh, that made, made things pretty tough. Now, you need to get a certain number of successes to even apply those like auto hits, um, which means that there's still a, uh, a chance that you know a, a godly being could fail. Um, it's not is, very likely. Which is, which is good, I will grant you. But... You never see Hercules try to lift up, you know, a Buick and then say, oh, my back. Uh, that's true. But I mean, I'm sure there's there's ways to, uh, for non-dramatic actions, um, not worry about it. But there should always be that small chance of failure, which is kind of what I think they're going for with it. Um, but true. yeah, uh, maybe when that's closer to coming out, we can uh, discuss it here on the show and dip into the analysis of the system a little bit further, because uh, I think it definitely has some uh, some value and improvements. Oh, absolutely. Just the uh, the changing of the uh, core pantheons alone. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah has me kind of interested. And uh, other cool news, actually. Eddie Webb and uh, Richard Dansky, who we're going to be talking about a little bit here on this episode, are working on World of Darkness audio adventures for the new company Earplay. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure, um, but, you know, there's audio involved, there's sounds, just kind of makes it a bit more... Uh, uh, involved and interactive uh, since you can even speak your actions uh, and the uh, the app will pick it up. So it's pretty cool and actually we're alpha testing uh, an Orpheus story at the Grand Masquerade so that's pretty neat. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like it could be interesting I mean if it's done right. Well, I'm not sure. 
I'm I'm less on the fence about this and more on the not interested on this than I was about Scion. That's just me. It's an interesting uh, kind of like experiment and uh, technology, so I'd be happy to just check it out. Um, I don't know if I'm going to have time for it. I mean, you can't really be sitting on the train talking to your your story phone that much. Maybe you could. I don't know. But anyway, suffice it to say, we've had some great stuff going on here with Darker Days Radio itself. Our uh, faithful uh, co-host Chris went over to Belfast uh, last weekend uh, to record some great wargaming content with the Beasts of War website. Uh, we'll give a link to that in the show notes, but I think some pretty cool stuff is coming along over there, and uh, you never know, we might help out Beasts of War a little bit with some of their role-playing game content, which uh, would definitely be super rad. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, we've also got our sister show, Midnight Express. They recently did a great episode on the Skinner with our uh, pal and also fellow co-host, Peter Marshall, uh, although he doesn't really get on the show that much. We need to uh, amend that soon. And uh, yeah, they're talking about the uh, Werewolf 20th uh, SAS adventure, The Skinner, talking about Sam Haight a little bit. Great episode. I listened to it on an airplane flying home from, uh, I don't know where I was, but uh, it was a great episode. Absolutely. If you haven't listened to it, you should download that and listen to it. Yeah, definitely. Midnight Express is the best, along with the other best other Worlds of Darkness show. They're also great. Shout of Sworn Radio Hour. They just recorded their seventh episode last night, and it should hit the airwaves soon. So really excited to see those guys chugging along and making some great content. I should really download their uh, sixth episode and listen to it. Yeah, I'm a little behind. So with that, Chig, I think it's time to uh, strap in for one hell of a ride, because we're going to go to the One World of Darkness and talk about Charnel Houses of Europe, the show. I'll see you there. Classic World of Darkness. So, Charlie Houses of Europe, the Showa, is billed as a black dog source book on the Holocaust for Wraith the Oblivion. It's probably one of the most ambitious projects that White Wolf, uh, in its original incarnation, ever undertook. And we were asked to do this episode by a listener, David Mata. Um, I don't really want to share all the details of his personal story, but suffice it to say, his family suffered greatly at the hands of uh, Franco-fascists and nationalist Spain during the time of World War II. So he asked us to discuss the uh, closest White Wolf book uh, that they ever released to uh, kind of his own family experiences and, you know, sort of reflect on the current rise of ultra-nationalism uh, in Europe that's uh, going on at this time. So it's a... Uh, it's a hefty task, but I think we're up to it. And uh, let's just kind of jump into some of the, the background, I think, Chig, uh, you know, talking about uh, the show itself. Okie doke. Let's uh, dive right into this. Yeah. So before the show came out, Chig, you were on the internet at the time, and you might remember that it was filled with consternation. Yeah, I'm an, I'm an old, old man, and I've been here for a while. Um yeah, it was a black dog book, and they announced that it was going to be a black dog book, and you know, for the more mature game line, which mm-hmm. at the time, black dog books were mostly about gore and uh, just gross, rapey, sexual kind of stuff. Um, but uh, that would not be the case with this book. Certainly not. But you can kind of understand that you know some of the uh, fans of of uh, World of Darkness books at the time. You know, they're a little, a little cautious because, you know, we had Montreal by Night, which is, it's, it's 
I don't know if I want to call it a good book, but there is there is usable content in there. You've got Freak Legion, which I don't want to say is a good book, definitely, but there is some hilarious stuff in there. And then, of course, Destiny's Price, which we've previously covered on the show. And yeah, these were all pretty over the top. There was a lot of graphic violence, language, nudity. And, you know, the... Despite other books like The Last Supper for the Giovanni Chronicles, uh, and also, um, I think at this time, Spectres was also out uh, for Wraith. Despite those books, there was kind of a reputation that the Black Dog books were kind of going there to these extreme things just because they could. Absolutely. Yeah. So then White Wolf announced that they're going to be discussing one of the worst atrocities in human history. And, you know, when Charlotte Houses of Europe, the show of finally got into the hands of readers, it really created this unified dialogue amongst World of Darkness fans. And, you know, for the first time, it really took a critical look at the Second World War's place in the World of Darkness itself. So, I mean, you know, amongst, amongst Americans and Europeans, World War II is this, you know, kind of unfortunately very popular topic. You know, war movies are a huge industry. Schools focus uh, entire courses on the war, and military history nerds have like their own cults of personality around particular generals. It's really weird. And Chig, even the History Channel, is pretty much funded by Pawn Stars and Hitler documentaries at this point. Am I right? Um, I think they also have some Bigfoot stuff on there, but yeah, beyond that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, definitely they do. Uh, and also Aliens. That always comes up. Could always be aliens. Yeah. In the, uh, in the context of the old World of Darkness, uh, World War II is featured notably in the background. You know, there's uh, Keita vampires began appearing en masse following Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the uh, atomic bombs that were dropped there. Uh, the Nazi party itself erodes the legitimacy, legitimacy of the Geta Fenris tribe in Werewolf the Apocalypse. And then, of course, writers of Mage can't really seem to agree with who supported who amongst the Axis and the Allies. Uh, and there's, there's numerous references to each. And, you know, finally, um, Charon of Stygia in Wraith the Oblivion sacrificed himself to shield the Shadowlands from essentially the fallout of the uh, Second World War. Well, specifically the fallout of the uh, ending of the Pacific War. Yep. So yep. The, the literal fallout. So, you know, despite all this, it's really all just kind of just some minor background material, you know, these kind of singular plot points. And with the exception of the pretty awful Berlin by night, which we may have to redeem someday, there hasn't been a detailed look at the immediate effects of World War II uh, in the game. And, you know, nations were toppled, 70 million people died. It's a huge event in the history of the world. It is a huge event, but but as you say, it is a historic event. Mm-hmm. And if we all, you know, are paying attention, this is an a, uh, original World of Darkness book. And that is very America-centric. Yep. And it is very late 90s-centric. It doesn't deal a lot with anything that happened, especially overseas, which was where the majority of, uh, you know, World War II took place. And it uh, doesn't deal very well with anything outside of the immediate scope of your individual chronicle, except for in the, you know, historic World of Darkness lines, like uh, the Dark Ages lines. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that it was all kept as background material. And yet, Richard Dansky, 
decided to discuss a small but, you know, horrifically tragic uh, number of these people that died and decide to explore the Holocaust itself. So, yeah, Charnel Houses of Europe was written by uh, Richard Dansky. He was, he was a developer. Uh, he was on our show way back in Darker Days Radio, episode number 20, classic episode. Friend of the show, Rich Dansky. Indeed. I, I met him in real life, in fact, and told him it was one of my favorite episodes. And I wasn't even a host then. I was just a listener. And uh, it was also written by Jonathan Black, who I don't think has written any other World of Darkness books. Uh, I did a quick search, and uh, I believe this was his only one. And of course, it was also written by Robert Hatch, notable as the third Vampire the Masquerade developer, and also the developer of World of Darkness Gypsies. But more on that later. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So when setting out to write Charnel Houses, Rich made a very wise decision up front. He said and declared that the Holocaust was caused by humans, real people. Everything that occurred in the real world precipitated exactly the same in the world of darkness. There was no vampires involved. There was no mages. It was all just people. And this book would be an exploration of the dead and how their ghosts haunt our world so that we, as the living, can have catharsis to explore and discuss this entire situation. And uh, it's a good book. It's going to come up there right front. It is a very good book, but it is not an easy book to read. You should not you should not read it alone at night, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I might have texted Jake last night, <laughs> kind of breaking down a little bit, even though I told him I didn't break. I didn't break, Jake. But yeah, so just looking at the book itself, kind of the structure, the book begins with this, you know, obligatory fiction and uh, forward by Janet Berliner, uh, stressing the necessity to not only remember, but discuss. And it shows quite well why Rich went on this crusade to create a game to explore and reflect on, well, untold suffering. And uh, the source book itself is broken into five chapter- chapters. So we have the first chapter, uh, which is just kind of the background, discussing the, what happened in the real world, going over the history. And then in addition to that, the aftermath of this that took place in the Shadowlands. And then finally, there's four chapters exploring specific uh, necropoli. Uh, that exist in the modern setting of the world of darkness. And the real world history is well-written, uh, discussing the slow build of race violence against Jew- uh, Jews and Romani, uh, leading to the acceleration towards genocide and murder of many ethnicities, political opponents, and uh, supposed undesirables. Yeah, so here's a little bit of real-world trivia that I learned very recently. Um, when they were filming... Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in Germany in 1970. They had trouble finding enough uh, little people to play the Oompa Loompas as so many of them had been uh, just killed in the Holocaust. Yep. That's quite the fun fact. That is definitely a fact. Yeah. Uh, So the history in here is functional, but it's not really anything you're not going to find in a real history book. And uh, interspersed between the historic facts are some sidebars discussing how denizens of the world of darkness reacted to what was going on. And uh, these are mostly not great. No, no, they are mostly hot garbage, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, my, my favorite was the um, little sidebar about, oh, hey, they, they had werewolves and vampires in the concentration camps, too. BT dubs. 
yeah, they were also experimented on. It wasn't great. It wasn't it wasn't not sure I what, if anything that adds. <laughs> it, it added nothing. Uh, I would ha, would have preferred if they just weren't there, um, because they kind of distract from the overall real world historic uh, process. And I'm glad that they kept it separate, at least by sidebars. So yes. the next time you read through, you can simply ignore it. Um, but it, it doesn't add much to the context of um, of this source book itself. Uh, nor really to the to the world of darkness uh, in general, but uh, it's it's very easy to kind of set that aside and uh, ignore it uh, overall. But uh, the book then proceeds to the aftermath of the Holocaust in the Shadowlands, and essentially, the concentration camps in Europe uh, have in the Shadowlands themselves become these horrific spawning grounds of enfants. Uh, thousands appear per day in these concentration concentrated areas, and these horrific niles erupt from the bleak Shadowlands Earth, and uh, specters run rampant, killing and corrupting the unchecked millions that are uh, now entering from these locations. And the hierarchy, of course, uh, completely botches their response to the situation. From their high towers in Stygia, the Death Lords just push the crisis off on local Shadowlands Acherons, uh, forcing them to make these partition territories to hold the new wraiths. So, of course, now they've uh, put the shore wraiths into their own prisons and ghettoized areas once again. Not great. Not great. Not the uh, finest reaction. No, certainly not. And from here, the book kind of takes a bit of a leap. Um, with Charon gone, uh, the Shadowlands are kind of in chaos, dealing with the millions of new wraiths entering the dark kingdom of iron uh from world war ii itself and thousands of these shoah wraiths who are victims of the holocaust travel to stygia to pretty much put the death lords on full blast and with the support of the ferrymen uh these unfortunate wraiths are given full autonomy uh allowed to find their fellow survivors and create new necropoli at the sites of their deaths and it's, as I mentioned, a bit of a leap. I'm not a huge fan of this plot, but I can appreciate how it sets up uh, a lot of the later content in the book. Um, there, there may have been some better ways to do it, and it kind of paints Stygian society and the Holocaust victims themselves in very, very broad strokes. Um, and actually, an interesting thing I noticed reading through this again was that uh, the word Jew or mention of uh, Jewish faith or people is never actually used in this section. So maybe the intent could have been the broad strokes being used to give the different victims equal treatment, which is uh, certainly something I could appreciate. Absolutely, though they, they do refer to all of the Holocaust uh, wraiths as Dibuk, which is, of course, yes. a, a, a Jewish term. It is so. a Hebrew word, indeed. So, Chig, you had, uh, you had some comments on, the, on this, of course. Yeah, so when they march on uh, the... Uh, uh, back up to uh, uh, Karan's tower in in the uh, the capital city or whatever. You know, they're, the army of fire, as they're called, um, mm-hmm. goes up there to air their grievances. And uh, they agree to something called the Covenant of Millions, which is, as Mike said earlier, where they are basically given the, uh, the horrible, horrible lands in what amounts to hell here in Stygia that are, you know, right next door to super duper mega hell. And they just say, okay, yeah, we'll do that. 
We'll go back and hang out at you know the site where the worst atrocities man has ever committed were committed on us, and that sounds like a great deal for us. Aside from hand wave fiat, why is this? Why did this sound like a good idea to anybody? Mm. Well, uh, certainly within the context of Wraith, uh, a lot of their late in life fetters are going to be uh, near or at these locations, you know, particular buildings that still exist or items that have been buried under the soil. And they're going to want to be close to these. Um, so certainly I could see some of these Showa wraiths wanting to, for their own survival, remain at these locations. And the book also does discuss that, uh, you know, wraiths are able to uh, retrieve pathos from the emotions of people uh, in the Skinlands, and a lot of these locations are now museums or uh, monuments, memorials, and there is a lot of emotion going through those that uh, those are the quick that visit these locations. So there is a uh, a resource uh, to be gained there. However, uh, on the flip side, there are definitely some Shoah. Uh, that have their fetters in other locations, and they might return to um, Poland or uh, Belarus, where they originated, uh, to be near those. And the book doesn't really discuss them that much, but uh, it's not difficult to uh, also consider the fact that there may be some far-roaming uh, Shoah wraiths as well. Uh, I just so you're you, you have you have two points. One is mm-hmm. uh, they don't want to leave because they want to make sure that their uh, fetters are protected. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's covered by point two. These are now historical, you know, museums and, you know, world heritage site places. So they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to, you know, bulldoze these locations and put up a mini mall. Sure. Sure. I think so, uh, we're about to actually kind of jump into some of these locations. And just <laughs> one of the things that commonly happens is that the, uh, the show rates tend to wall off their, um, their necropoli. And frequently they also have these Niles, these um, links to the, uh, the tempest below. Uh, super hell. From, yeah, super hell <laughs> where the specters are coming from. And it would probably make more sense if they just made the walls a little bit smaller and just put them around the uh, Nile itself yeah, to move just those in a little them. bit, cover that up, put, <laughs> rather put some, than sleeping right put next some to paint them. on top of it and just you know ignore it. It'll, it'll it'll take care of itself. That said, we're using we're using logic here, and know, that I might know, not always support the uh, the story and imagery that's trying to be achieved here. I know. So let's get on to the main event here, the four necropoli. And this, I said these are great. Uh, I'll say it again that they're great. This is really what you're coming to the book for. They're very interesting to read about and um, just have a a very strong resonance and are probably the most useful to people that would use uh, Toronto houses in a game itself. Absolutely. These are these are all very interesting, great locations. It, it's it in the end this is a location book. And mm-hmm. these are all very, very interesting, but man, again, I would not want to live here. No, certainly not. Actually, here here's a here's an idea, kind of going on that tangent we just had. It would make sense that there would be 
a number of wraith circles that would uh, be focused on trying to move fetters and anything they could out of these locations, moving them in the real world uh, through influence, possession, what have you, someplace else. So that's the anywhere uh, else. Sure, wraiths. <laughs> yeah, sure, wraiths could uh, uh, survive in more safety and, and, and more peaceful situation. But anyway, that's not what this book is about. No, but this that book be a is really good chronicle. Yeah, it could. It could, certainly. Uh, this, this book goes through a couple different locations. So, so the first one is the Theron-Steinstadt Ghetto, which uh, was a specifically uh, Jewish ideal community set up by the Nazi party. And uh, the ghetto was in an old Austrian fort, which was meant for about 5,000 people max. And 30,000 were crammed in it. Uh, they were actually... Uh, Nazis were kind of using this as like this transportation point, sending them from the uh, community to other uh, locations, other uh, the death camps themselves. And uh, interestingly enough, you know, the Nazis kept saying, oh, this is the ideal community to try to like fool people into uh, showing up here. When the Red Cross showed up uh, and on an international mission to uh, check on the uh, treatment of specifically Jewish people, uh, the Nazis just spruced it up and tricked the Red Cross into thinking it was a nice place. Actual real-world occurrences, yes. Because of that, it makes this a very interesting and uh, unfortunate uh, location to explore in your World of Darkness games. Uh, and yeah, in the Shadowlands, uh, this is probably the most bearable of all the necropoli presented here. So TLDR, it's going to get worse, guys. Um <laughs> It's all downhill from here. <laughs> it says something when this place literally has bleeding walls, which the uh, wraiths live inside. But it does have a safe and fairly stable government uh, with a lot of depressed wraiths looking for transcendence. Yeah, this is, like you said, the the nicest of the four necropoli uh, presented. It's it's still not good. It is very much not good. Nope. And... Um, even for, for the best of the four, it still has that uh, that gateway to super hell right there in the middle of it. And mm. there are crazy uh, specters wandering around just eating people. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. But I guess it's better than going to the town. Down. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't really understand, again, why they wouldn't just leave. But that's just that, that would not make a very good story. That is why they will not just leave. And uh, the next one they uh, discuss is the Warsaw Ghetto. So you've probably heard the story. Um, the Jews of Warsaw and central Poland were all trucked into this 100-square-block cordoned-off area of Warsaw uh, to live in pretty much horrific squalor. And once the Nazi party started to ship people to the death camps, you know, taking them out of here, uh, the underground Jewish resistance rose up to fight back. And as a result, the entire ghetto, all of the buildings were completely razed. Everything was collapsed and on the ground by the end of it. Burnt down. Indeed. And because of this methodical raising that was done, the entire ghetto now exists again uh, in the Shadowlands. And it's kind of this, it's, it's a very interesting setup. It's the, this walled fortress within the Warsaw Necropolis. You know, it's densely populated with wraiths uh, and outsiders think it's a huge threat. Um, and one of the interesting things they decided to do in this section was that the, uh, necropolis is filled with these wraiths that are historic people. And I don't know about you, Chig, but in, in vampire and mage source books, I'm usually not a fan of this. You know, I don't need to hear that Louis Pasteur is a vampire. Um, but 
I'm a, I'm a little almost ambivalent towards this approach because using the assumptions that they have of the um of of pretty much every single person killed horribly in this in this tragedy became a wraith uh some of them became specters uh others went to oblivion immediately some transcended it, of course but many are are still remaining in the shadowlands real people would be here um notably they're talking about uh the leader of the uh, jewish resistance here uh and that's one of the uh kind of assumptions they have for this this setting itself of the uh warsaw ghetto necropolis uh is that the resistance is still basically in charge which is kind of interesting well i mean they were in charge when everything you know got burned down and they all showed up at the same time so yeah they're gonna still be in charge um, but I'm right there with you on uh, normally, yes, I, I do not care that Rasputin was a Nosferatu, Black Spiral Dancer, uh, Euthanatos Monkey God. I don't care. I, I don't want to hear about any of that garbage. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it does it does make sense in, in this particular setting uh, that they would use real people. Although it's a little, little on the disrespectful side. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like you said, it makes sense that they would that they would use actual historic people, especially given the fact that they are a hundred percent historic at this time. They they are no longer among the living, so their sto- their stories in the real world are over. So I, I guess I kind of get where they're coming from there, but again, it's not really the mm. most respectful treatment. Yeah, I definitely see that, Jake. Maybe the best thing to do is that you can include them in the explanation of the setting, but it might not be good to betray them in your game. Yeah, and don't give them stat write-ups. Oh, they definitely did that in this book. <laughs> they definitely <laughs> did that a couple times. Whoops. Uh, yeah, so uh, just kind of a quick explanation of the Shadowlands setup of the uh, Warsaw Ghetto is that uh, the Resistance is now in charge, and it's pretty mater- uh, militaristic. I almost said materialistic, which it is as well. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of tension between them in their safe walls and the polish wraiths on the outside and of all the necropoli uh this is actually certainly the easiest one to come up with conflicts and plot ideas for you know kidnappings between warsaw and the ghetto for soul forging purposes uh polish wraiths may be seeking shelter from a maelstrom inside the uh thick walls of the uh, ghetto itself there's a lot of options for internal and external conflict uh, the only problem is that you pretty much have to set this or have your game set in Warsaw. Yeah, um, and that's often a uh, an issue with setting books. Mm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Maybe your characters might end up there, but uh, it's a it's a bit of a challenge. So from there, we go to the third location, which is Bobby Yar, uh, and it's actually just a ravine outside of Kiev where more than 100,000 people were executed by the SS. Uh, this is actually the first necropolis that features non-Jewish victims prominently, um, with many Ukrainian and Russian dissidents uh, being executed here. And side note, the author <laughs> did not seem to know that Ukrainians aren't Russians. He just uses the terms interchangeably. Whoops. But They're that's fine. basically I'll the same about. place, right? Uh, there, I mean... Common history, fairly similar, but uh, another fun historic fact, just to throw in here, uh, Ukrainians to this day don't really like talking about Baba Yar. Uh, it's 
kind of in a lot of ways a, a national embarrassment. And recently there was a new highway uh, built right near the area and you know the embankment itself and cars traveling at 60 miles per hour or 75 kilometers per hour uh, really just discourage people from visiting the site. Yeah, did you like that quick conversion there? I did. Did you do that math in your head? Uh, that was impressive. Yeah, but I, I definitely underestimated it. It's probably more like <laughs> 85 kilometers per hour. But anyway, um, yeah. So as you would expect, uh, people were dying here en masse, which in the Shadowlands created a large Nile, huge rupture in the uh, Shadowlands down to the Tempest itself. And luckily, some Soviet Red Army wraiths uh, showed up and got the situation under control. And they've been there working with the uh, Holocaust victims ever since to mend the Nile. 105 kilometers per hour? 105 Man. kph, yeah. You said 65, right? Uh, I said... A- you said 65 miles. I, yeah, 60 yeah. miles per hour. 105 I was like... Anyway, this isn't good radio. This is great uh, radio. Math is fun. It is fun. It is good. <laughs> but yes, the, uh, the, the Nile that was created and they are working on uh, on fixing that for the past 50 years yeah something like that yeah at the time of writing constantly constantly never taking a break seems like a good use of your time i suppose yeah maybe as you were saying here in the show notes chig maybe they should just move on at this point just saying bobby r is a little underwhelming i guess but it's also fairly modular uh, you can easily use this concept in any Wraith game outside of uh, this uh, setting focused on the Shoah. The idea of a walled uh, sanctuary sitting on a Nile is kind of evocative and could really be located anywhere. So Anywhere that there was a uh, horrific mass, mass killing, yes. Yep. Which, sadly, is a lot of places. Yeah. And finally, we get to the final location which is Auschwitz and the Birkenau uh, camp itself. This setting specifically is what you were reading last night, and I told you to stop and take a break, and you said no. Yeah, I probably should have. This is the worst of the death camps. Um, You're probably familiar with the history, the emaciation of the prisoners and the hard labor, beatings, shootings, um, and the Zyklon B and gas chambers. And really just this historic insight into the cold and carelessness of of the human race. You know, the depths of depravity. And Rob Hatch researched this topic thoroughly. Uh, He thought hard about how the place and its victims would manifest themselves in the Shadowlands. And he succeeded. And maybe he even redeemed himself for World of Darkness Gypsies. No, I'm just kidding. He totally didn't. He keeps calling the Romani gypsies throughout this entire thing. That's not their name, dude. Okay? Stop it. That's not the name of their ethnic group. They're called the Romani. There's even a sidebar about the gypsy camp. And yeah, I mean, it's one, it's an offensive term. Two, the sidebar is only there to say, oh, hey, yeah, you know how we've said in other books about how those those gypsy guys, they have such great ties with uh, a couple of vampire clans. They didn't do anything to help. They all died in this camp anyway. Why Why is this sidebar here? What does this mm-hmm. add? Nothing. Ugh. Yeah, it was not great. Super not great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was also, the 1990s were slightly different, especially here in the United States, like, 
people didn't really know much about the Romani people overall. But today in our more globalized society, probably should stop using that word and just call them Romani. Yes, I would like to think that in were this book written today, it would not have this sidebar or this mm. term being used constantly. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah, they never use Romani, I don't think, ever in this book. It's I did not see the word. Always once. the G word. Always the G word. Anyway, let's get back on topic here. The theme of this section is, as in life, so too in death. And the Wraith victims uh, in Auschwitz have retained their social order from the 1940s concentration camp unto death, creating this violent, anarchic state, uh, particularly with the absence of the totalitarianism of their Nazi overlords. And Jewish triangles, because not using not using circles here, using triangles. They're taking it back. That's right. Uh, are opposed by, say, communist ones. Uh, criminal triangles fight the Romani. And the Jehovah's Witnesses are literally the nicest people in the camp, which I thought was a really interesting touch. Yeah, let's, you know, why not? <laughs> they help people, you know? the uh, Many of them become partners and uh, help relief uh, angst and... Uh, thorns from the the rates in the camp they are nice folk yep yep and it's otherwise pretty much madness here uh rates go missing all the time and you don't know if it was a political opponent that offed them or dragged them to uh, the soul forge or if it was some russian specter that uh came out of the darkness and snatched them oh and of course all the russian pow's became specters just just because yeah it was was there any any explanation on that? Uh, there was. So, historically, many Russian POWs were sent on a death march towards uh, Auschwitz and uh, Birkenau. And those that arrived at Birkenau were then immediately forced to uh, begin hard labor. Uh, they hadn't really gotten any food. Uh, they just had to scavenge for things in the fields as they walked. And... Um, all of them died very fast. Um, and they said that when they reached the Shadowlands, they were just uh, easily overcome by uh, specters already there. But it's all a moot point because the Wraith community in the Shadowlands doesn't make a distinction between Wraith and Spectre. The book says so. Which I'm not sure how that's going to work. but Certainly not in... The reason I think they said that was because this is such a, a vicious place um, that it's very difficult for some hierarchy official just walking by with his legionnaires to even tell the uh, maddened specters apart from the angst-ridden, angst-ridden members of uh, the, the Auschwitz necropolis. And there's perhaps even specters just walking amongst the uh, some of the ones that are more easy to more easily blend in like doppelgangers uh just walking amongst the uh, general population of this place as well Hmm. yeah it's it's really dark it's not a good place it's not it's really not and why does no one leave chig why does no one leave um because there's crazy specters crawling all over the place and uh, also there's barbed wire everywhere you're almost trapped in a lot of ways and it's very easy for a careless wraith to get entangled and destroyed barbed wire soul forged from dead nazis yeah which is kind of symbolic no, no the uh 
the the barbed wire isn't soulforged from them. They use they, the dead Nazis get soulforged and other things. No, the uh, the barbed wire just keeps appearing. It's like kind of growing out of the ground. Mm. When they wake up each day, there's just more of it, uh, and they try to use it for uh, materials because it is ectoplasm itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of the great mysteries of the place is where is the wire coming from. Regardless, they have trains. It said so in chapter one. It connects all the necropoli. <laughs> Uh, they did. They did mention that. They can get on that train. But, uh, they can go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> they they do mention that that all of the uh, the uh, uh, Showa and the the contract of the millions uh, necropoli are interconnected by by train tracks. But you're not going to go the, go outside alone. Definitely, you're going to need to grab a group and uh, travel in numbers for safety. Sure, absolutely, I agree. So, yeah, not only are the politics of Auschwitz vilely interesting, uh, but so is the imagery. Uh, as we mentioned, it's called the Dark Kingdom of Wire, and it's this twisting maze of barbed wire and shoddy barrackses, uh, which are covered uh, by this toxic, semi-solid miasma. And this was an interesting touch. The Ashfield Brook traveling or running near the uh, camp will sometimes get out of its channel and grab you and pull you underwater. Yeah, that was uh, it's just crazy. I'm not sure what was going on with that, where that idea came from, but that is just some fantastic imagery. Indeed. It's a bleak place. Um, yes, it's interesting to read about in small doses, but I'm, I'm certainly not courageous enough to, to use this location in game. Um, there's no relief to the stress, uh, in this location and, and the stress that it evokes. It just keeps getting worse in a lot of ways. And then the book just kind of ends. There's no denouement, no afterward. Uh, there are two flaws because what every book about the Holocaust and specifically the section about concentration camps needs is a way to get your character just a few more build points for character generation. Yeah, but those are brutal flaws. I don't think you'd want to take them ever. Like, four points to lose two health boxes, or corpus in the case of Wraith, and also have a bunch of drawbacks for uh, gaining pathos? Not the best. Not the best, in my opinion. They, even the mechanical options in this book are not great. I'm just saying they definitely do not help your character much. It's, no, it, it probably shouldn't. Especially because... It's distasteful at best. Indeed, Especially because at this point, really, the book just ends and leaves you with really just time to reflect on the ghostly echoes of, of human depravity. Yeah. There's nothing. Yep. Nothing at the end. There's no nothing. It just There's no stops. hopes. It just stops. And that's it. So, Chig, um... Would you would you play this game? Would you use this book? Does it pass the Chup test for you? I would absolutely never in a million years play a game in this setting. Um, I don't think that I or any group that I have ever gamed with uh, is mature enough to give it the uh, respect that it deserves. So no, I would not play a game set in uh, the charnel houses of Europe. How about you, Mike? Uh, no. I mean, as I was reading through this, I was, you know, of course, analyzing it for the gameability 
Um, and there definitely are, they, they didn't just make an art book. They certainly did think about how this could be used in a chronicle. Oh, there are some and, fantastic ideas in there. The, um, yeah. the Warsaw ghetto that is, um, like the ghetto itself is whole because it was all, you know, the, the hundred square blocks were all just raised down. But then on the outside of that, there's this huge twisting, turning nightmarish, uh, dark reflection of what's inside of it. That's, that's mm. an amazing, uh, an image right there. Yeah, certainly, certainly. But, but am I courageous enough to use it in a game? Probably not. No. But I think that the game and setting of Wraith is nothing if not enhanced by this book existing. It answers a lot of questions and just takes this really serious discussion of how real-world atrocities may be reflected um, amongst the Shadowlands and gives gives people an opportunity to just reflect, consider, and even explore what happened with some distance um, rather than experiencing it in the, the context of a living uh, real-world historic role-playing game. Absolutely. It is, it is a, as we said at the beginning, it is a good book. It is one of, yep. one of, if not the best Wraith books, in my opinion. But I do not think that it is gameable. <laughs> Certainly not by I me. am not courageous enough <laughs> at this time. So that is Charnel Houses of Europe, the Shoah. Um, I don't know if we even answered any of David's questions or what he was really requesting with this. But that's, that's the book and that's kind of what we, uh, what we think about it. Uh, it really serves as a, a reminder and lesson um, about not being a terrible person and not allowing other people to be terrible uh, within the context of, you know, being presented as a as a role playing supplement. But yeah, um, listen, Matt McFarland once told me we're all in this together, and he was right. So Indeed. I don't really have anything else to say. Yeah. Uh, we're we're Darker Days Radio. We're skipping the secret frequency. We're skipping Chronicles of Darkness this, this episode because we just uh, unloaded some pretty heavy stuff right there. Uh, you can check us out, of course. Uh, send us some requests for episodes over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com and also go over to our Facebook page. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll see you all next time uh, with a... Uh, a much more full episode, a much more positive episode, hopefully. I don't think it could get much less positive. Yeah, but, well, I'm glad we did this, Chig. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. Good night. See you next time, guys.